guys, welcome back to Screenworthy. Brought to you as always by The Mine Refinery. This week we talked to Tosin McKinde, host of the Shirtless Plantain Show, about the Amazon Sports Series All or Nothing, as well as the future of soccer content. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you have time, follow us on social media. And now, here's the show. Alright guys, joining us today to talk about the Amazon Prime Series All or Nothing, Tottenham Hotspur, our Mine Refinery creative, Coburn Blair. How's it going? And special guest, uh, he's the co-founder and host of the Shirtless Plantain Show, self-fashioned as a football dictatorship inspired by Nigerian culture and fueled by banter. It's a great show. Make sure you check it out. The Nigerian scam himself, Tosin Makunde. Tosin, thanks so much for being here. I mean, thank you guys so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Um, it's always fun to talk football with people. So I mean, I'm really glad that you guys have me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, honestly, that's uh, anytime also we get to, uh, you know, talk our shit about football. We love doing it. I'm glad that we're all Manchester United fans here so we can. I mean, it's important for Mind Refining listeners to always know they're low-key listening to a Mind Refi- uh, a Manchester United podcast. So just keep that in mind. So All or Nothing has been around for a while. It actually dipped into other sports. You know, they followed the NFL's Arizona Cardinals, uh, the New Zealand All Blacks. But it's the past two seasons that have kind of brought the most attention. Uh, last season was Manchester city and they followed pep guardiola and what turned out to be the uh city centurions this year with tottenham hotspurs so when tottenham uh chairman daniel levy initially mentioned the prospect of doing the show with uh then manager Maurizio pochettino the argentinian was kind of worried about the extra workload and like the distraction we bring to the club needless to say uh he didn't last much longer uh, slightly after that and uh the show centered around jose Mourinho and um his bringing the team together so i think i'd like to start off by you know what were our uh what are our initial thoughts of uh this season why don't you start us off tosin um, I think the biggest thing is realize that Tottenham are devoid of personality. <laughs> and <laughs> Mourinho was basically their personality. Like there are some like nice guys, but like I was bored out of my mind watching the players. Like I look more forward to like hearing the nonsense Mourinho had to say. Like, for example, I think Harry Kane's a great player, but if he was my captain, honestly, I would laugh my ass off and listen to him speak. I'm like, yo, like what are you, what are you doing? But I mean, you can see like they need a Mourinho. Um, like we were saying before we started, like. I think Pochettino's time um, came to end with Tottenham. Um, you kind of see it, not just him, but in the players that they both kind of needed. It was like it was like a needed divorce from the pair of them. And I feel like Tottenham right now needed Mourinho. And it's weird that United needs Pochettino. So it's like a weird like switch of management and styles. <laughs> like yeah, that's what they that's what both teams needed. Yeah, I think uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoy watching Jose when he's not associated with my club so having him like watching him on Chelsea was fun um watching him on Manchester United was fun for like a season um and then it became very like terrible and terrifying so I'm, I'm happy to have him be at Tottenham I think Tottenham is like the perfect club to do a show like this and I enjoyed watching it all of it and seeing the games from like a different perspective because I'd watch like a lot of those games as well you know it's funny because yeah, you see, you know, especially with this, you know, if you if you if you know football, you start, you know, you see, this is more of the musical chairs happening with managing and you know, especially with the top six clubs. You know, it's funny because Tottenham felt like the perfect club for this because they were a club where there is inevitable drama. They, you know, they're top six but struggling to kind of make their 
bones in the top four to you know repeat champions league presence and it was really cool how they were you know how they were able to kind of really get inside and see this and i think jose Mourinho is also kind of the perfect person for this i mean we'll get more specifically into jose Mourinho. Uh, but I think, and yes, it's all fun and games until Jose Mourinho is coaching your squad. But, you know, I, I definitely think this was more tolerable and he's a better figure than, uh, did you guys watch the, uh, the Manchester City season with, uh, Pep Guardiola? Yeah, bits of it. Um, you realize that Pep is a nut human being, like he's insane. That's just really what I got from that. Pep is insane. Well, I don't know how they, um, actually understand what he's saying, not from a, like, not from a accent point of view, but like he kind of just goes up. He's like, and then here, here, and the fullback comes in, and then this, this, and he just kind of clicks things around, and everyone's like, all right. You kind of, I don't know, this. I mean, like when you kind of put him and Mourinho beside each other, I'm like, wow, Mourinho seems a lot more personable. And obviously, I have the inborn prejudices against Pep Guardiola, um, but you know what I mean. Like, Coburn, did you check it out? I think I saw like a few episodes um, around the time it was airing. Again, like I. Didn't really want to subject myself to a whole season on Manchester City. It's masochistic uh, for sure. Not that I care about... Yeah, I don't really care about that club that much, but I didn't really feel like watching at the time. I think now I'm going to go back and watch it after watching this one. I think the City season is good. You know, it's just like, can you tolerate that for a long period of time? Is like, how much, like, how much are you willing to subject yourself to it? The access was pretty good. I think it was a little bit more in depth than some of the, like, you know, stuff you see with NFL films and stuff. So I really enjoyed that. So are we saying that this is, we're rating this high on the entertainment factor? I was honestly, like, I was a bit bored at like before the fifth episode. But I was like, I might have quit. I'm going to keep going. But like, it's also down to the players. Like, I feel like a lot of Tottenham players are devoid of personality, like I said. Yeah, I think, like, it, it was pretty, like, sanitized, like, um, for what we got to see. Like, it definitely felt like you were watching, like, a, I don't know, like, the, the manager, Daniel Levy. He just felt like he was, like, you know, the star and, like, you know, the best person at the club and, like, you know, doing everything right. So, and I felt like some of the conversations with Marino were, like, they kind of chopped them up. So, it was, like, really quick player conversations. I definitely like, had it on in the background for a little bit um, when I was got off to episode four and then from four on and where I watch it like a little bit more intensely when I figured out we we're going to do this. But it was like somewhat entertaining because I always just find Jose has really good screen presence. Like I love his presser. So I wish I got a little bit more of that side of it, but I enjoyed some of it, I think. I think the problem was sometimes it feels like a promotional engine for the club. Like, I think that Tottenham, from, like, a plot point of view, you know, what they went through and what they go through, like, they're good for it. But I think from a character standpoint, that's a really good point. You know, they're just kind of, you know, like, some of these, like, I'm wondering how, like, Deli Alley would react to, like, or another player would react to, like, Mourinho's harassment, calling him lazy, that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I expect a little bit more fire in regards to that. Um Let's talk about Jose Mourinho as the show star. I feel like he's a worthy subject. Do we agree? Yeah. I mean, Jose, at the end of the day, Jose is fun when he's not your manager. That's really where I stand. It's like, Jose is great when he's not your manager. He's hilarious. Like, I'm watching now with Tottenham. It's like, man, this guy, this guy's funny. But it's not funny when he's your manager because, yeah, it's, it's just not funny at all. It's also not funny when he beats you 6-2. Um, I'm still not over that, but that yeah. That was traumatic. Uh, like, I think, 
like I like Jose Mourinho when he's calling Arseny Wenger like an expert in failure. Like that's what I'm looking for. You know what I mean? That's um or he's you know or he's saying Villa Boas uh, is a child. And uh, like these are the things I'm I'm really looking for at Jose Mourinho. I think that I'm wondering what it had been like if it if Pochettino had actually stayed in it. I feel like it wouldn't have been, uh, you know, that entertaining. But yes, again, it's uh, as you know when he's not uh, managing your team, and it's funny because I felt like when he came in, it almost felt like like he was already in third year mode, and then it's kind of like picked up a bit. I mean, the only problem is you know with Mourinho is that you get this that you get that projection of that three-year projection of what's going to happen where it's like he comes in he changes the culture everyone's like he's a winning coach there's some success uh chelsea's able to win a championship with us second place obviously fall by, far behind uh city uh but then uh the wheels come off and um you're just like how did this happen and then you're like oh yes i've actually seen that happen a bunch of times so is he a, like is he a hero or a villain in this like what do you guys think about that uh, he's a necessary villain. <laughs> like he's the evil that we need because without Jose Mourinho, there's no documentary. Like I'm not going to sit here and watch nine, 10 episodes of Harry Kane trying to speak to people or, you know, what's his name? D uh, Danny Rose just complaining, you know, but he's not playing. <laughs> Those guys are fun. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Deli Alley for the first time said, oh, I learned how to make, what is he learning me? He learned how to make beans, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> Like, yo, like, I don't care if you know how to make beans, my guy. Like, I don't really care. So it's just like Mourinho is fun because Mourinho's there at least like, you know, Mourinho's providing commentary. Just like even he was like every five minutes, like, fucking hell, I'm in great form. Like, every five minutes. So he kept saying, it's like, I didn't know, like, it was like, it's fun to hear Mourinho to be Mourinho. So, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how Deli Alley lived in England his entire life and didn't open up a fucking tin of beans. I mean, he's a professional football player. They got all this stuff ready for him, you know? They don't really have to move a muscle. I guess, like, I guess that's true because, like, they, these guys are, you know, with the club since they're teenagers. So it's like they're completely in this bubble. Yeah, I would, I would say the same. Like, I think, like, you know, you watch the whole thing and, like, there's, like, two, like, really big moments of passion I can think of. Like, when Hugo Lloris kind of goes into it with his son and then, like, Deli Ali gets in an, an argument in the locker room. I can't remember who. who was it was with Eric Deer. Can't remember. But, like, I don't, like, there wasn't, like, a lot of big moments of passion or, like, even, like, the kind of human interest moments, like, when um, uh, Kane's, like, doing his, like, gender reveal. Like, none, none of it really connected with me. Like, I was not, like, trying to see more of that. <laughs> um, I think, like, you know, when they're bringing up, uh, is it Tanjana? Um, and, or, no, I guess when they signed Bergewin and they show his, his parents' house or whatever, that was kind of cool. I, I like that kind of transfer window stuff. But everything else kind of, like... I think like you said like it just fell flat like there's not really any big personalities and like you're right the show wouldn't work without jose being like the front and center personality because it kind of started to revolve around him and then like towards the end i'm watching him like do the skywalk and i'm like oh wow that's like kind of fun like he's like looking up at his like thing and talking about var i'm like this is hilarious but everything else just like yeah it was not i don't know that necessary do we have any favorite Mourinho moments in this? Yeah, when he was going, Papa Pia, Papa Pia. That shit was like... <laughs> that was like, like just building in general, because he's just like... And the funny thing was him talking to Eric, Eric Deere in like, uh, Portuguese. Like, you fully know he can speak English. But it's like, nah, you know what? I'm going to speak to him in Portuguese, even though Dad hasn't spoke the language in like six years. So that was also funny. Uh, yeah, I think when like Jose comes in and he has his own staff and he's like, you know, evaluating players and then just calling like... Daily Ali just like lazy for like I don't know half an episode or something. 
and he brings him into the office. He's like, you're lazy. And I thought, thought that was like good Jose material, but I don't know. What do you think, Kyle? I think that the uh, the harassing of Deli Alley in general, I enjoy uh, calling him lazy, like just like circling on the screen in the board, him walking and stuff like that on the pitch when he shouldn't be. And just like those moments, I think the like I was hoping of a little bit more from the Danny Rose moment, just because I don't think. I feel like Mourinho would be more aggressive in that situation because like his like M Liz MO is getting under people's skin and like trying to make them, you know what I mean? Like impassion them. But also, you know, part of it was, you know, Danny Rose, how good do you think you are? Um, because I'm going to say it's uh, less that you are less good than you think you are. So, I mean, like it was, you know, we had those moments and when he's like coming in and saying like him consistently being like, Hey, you guys are the nice guys. You guys are nice guys. You guys are the nicest guys. You guys got to be like fucking cunts now. And I, I like, I really like that because I mean, what you're looking for in this situation is, you know, textbook Jose Mourinho. Like, I, th- I think we got it. And I think that was good. Uh, how do we think he comes out looking like this? If you didn't have him manage your squad and you watch this, would you want him managing your squad? I never want Jose I mean, like, I've... <laughs> It's hard to say that when, like, you really had him as your coach, you know? Well, what, what was your reaction to him being your coach? I just knew it was going to end in tears. I just knew it because you just know Mourinho. You just know just who he is and what he is. And you just knew, like, it wasn't going to be fun at all. And once things started to go down, like, so what else, what else can you do? Um, so, like, I knew what, I know what he was trying to do to players like get them out. But, like, Mourinho has to remember that this is 2020, like, Players respond differently. It's not 2004 where they can call a drug by a name and he'll go out and perform for you. You know, these players are, they're coddled and they're not the same footballers that you thought they were. So, but I feel like Mourinho has a much better squad than he did at United. Like these players are a lot more older and more experienced. Um, like Kane is almost, Kane is what, 28 now and Son is 27. So his main stars, like, you know, that's what he wants. It's like he wants fully developed players and that's fine. You didn't have that yet. There's a bunch of young talent that still needs to be nurtured and like, you know, so. I definitely think he had more squad depth. He had better center backs for sure before like injuries and stuff. Um, Our center back situation generally makes my eye twitch um, on a regular basis. Coburn, uh, Mourinho, as your your manager, take us to your initial thoughts. I mean, I don't know. I have a cousin that's a big Chelsea fan. So I spent a lot of time like kind of around that. So like, kind of knew what we were in for and like I followed him when he was at Real Madrid so when he came to I don't know it was just like a everything after like Sir Ferg Alex Ferguson has just been kind of like a, a depressing point for Manchester like I don't think there's been any like upsides really in a lot of the coaches and I guess like we won like some minor silverware with Marino so people were happy but I was happy to see him leave and be happy when we get like a, a better coach and we can kind of re- return to form but I thought like the interesting parts were like seeing the injuries from his his side of things. Because I feel like that's something you don't really get to see in soccer or in football. Like you you hear people are injured and then it's like, oh, like how injured are they? So I thought that was kind of interesting to see him like kind of frustrated by like getting Kane injured and then Son's out. And then he's kind of like struggling with that. I think that's one thing the show was able to do well is kind of catch the the, the palpable frustration of having so many players injured. Um, I feel like when we signed Mourinho, part of me was like, immediately I'm like, this is going to last three years to three and a half years. But then 
I was I kind of got like maybe he could do something in that time because that he's a serial winner, but then you know all of that quickly evaporated. Um, you know, into a cataclysm of what Jose Mourinho does typically around the third season. Here's what I, I mean. I really want to talk about how we feel this ranks. You know, among other you know all access type situation you know series or a uh, sports documentary series especially like when you're coming off of something like uh the last dance you know what i mean which is different in format but still gives you that insider's look at what's going on um like how do you think this ranks eh, i mean again like it all depends on the teams you use soccer right like a team like a team like tottenham has no personality so it's not going to be fun i feel like some teams in the past they'd have had more fun. Like imagine there were, imagine this sort of thing with like the '99 United team with like Bex and like Giggs and Keane yeah. and someone like that would just crazy. Even like United team with Evra and like Rio and people like that, right? But it's just like you have to find the right teams with 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 personalities. Like that's really what it is. It's like they make it dry. It's like I don't want to really like who really wants to sit here and watch like a Tottenham team. They're they're top at the end of the day. Like they're always going to be top. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, I still think the best soccer documentary I've ever seen in my life is the Maradona documentary. Like, but then again, it's because Maradona has a personality and a cocaine habit. But still, that's not. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a good point, though, because like at the end of the day, these things are character driven and that's what you're looking for. So like in the absence of characters, then like you can't you can't have a plot driven sports documentary in my opinion because or you know docu-series because we kind of know what the fucking narrative always is you know what i mean like we know what happens in a football season we know how it progresses we know it gets busy at christmas you know and only the the things you know that you know we've been talking about like the transfer market and you know touching on like how the covid thing was interesting like those are the outlier situations where you know one we don't have much access to the transfer market and the inner workings of negotiations because that's they you know they try to keep that try quote under under wraps and then covid was like a complete you know paradigm shift so in the absence of characters in this and i think the thing is maradona is such a good central character right like he's like he's still animated you know he's still involved in in football so yeah i i think that's definitely i think when you're getting when you're you're getting strong characters in these things that's you know why it works that's why like some of the you know like um i don't know if any of you guys have seen the Jimmy Viavino of uh, Vivino um, 30 for 30. Like, you know what I mean? Like this, this, these are the people you can focus on. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to think like, I, like just watching it. Like I couldn't even tell, like, you remember how tight, like, you know, finishing top three in the league was like, even for us, yeah. I didn't really get a sense of urgency behind them at all. Like, you know, like that was a big scramble. Like it was, I thought they had a, like a okay path to getting to third at one point in, in the PL um if i could be remembering remembering wrong it was like for a while it wasn't like tottenham leicester um chelsea and us yeah and then like it kind of like what it was did the same thing it did last year where it was like you know everyone's racing for third but nobody like really wants it bad enough so like you're all kind of scrambling losing matches that you shouldn't be losing but i didn't really get a sense of like you know that urgency around uh the end and like maybe you know covid interrupted that but i was kind of like i was kind of thinking it'd be a bit more like of a push for them to like try it and like kind of would feel that like you know condensing but it they didn't really like get that through the through the show 
I like I I think that they don't like Champions League positions come with you know a significant financial influx into your club, and I think that what they could have pulled out of that from a plot sense is that they you know they didn't what they kind of mentioned oh this will cost us this much money but like really what that means for a club like Tottenham you know what I mean like there was no stakes like for you like the perception of Champions League is different for teams like United and Chelsea because there is an expectation of it whereas at Tottenham I guess now there is an expectation of it but it's not something that is consistently done and definitely not you know, you know, they don't have a rich history of success, kind of, or even kind of recent success. So, like, this is a kind of a desperation thing for them to make Champions League. And I don't think they, you know, they showed that. Whereas if you look at, like, a docuseries, like The Last Dance, is they really kind of ramp up, ramp it up. I mean, the characters are obviously so, obviously so rich and awesome. And because you have, like, Dennis fucking Rodman, and you have, you know, Michael Jordan, and you have Phil Jackson. And, but they're able to ramp up just from you know like an editing sense like what that is you know and what that and what the stakes are for that and what that means and what that means from a cult what a championship means from a chicago standpoint from a cultural standpoint from a career standpoint with michael jordan and you just i guess the big thing is we didn't learn anything new from this i would have liked to have learned new things yeah i feel like you know like they could have you know, even harped on like, you know, their champ their um Champions League loss, like, you know, like that kind of like, you know, like at least pull tap into that, be like, hey, like we know we came this close to winning Champions League. We lost. Um like I think the best part that I saw from like a football standpoint was like the Arsenal match. And because like, you know, that's their longtime rival, they kind of did a good job at like, you know, showing you Highbury, telling you it's four miles away, building up to the North London Derby. Um and like the kind, I that, that was the only part I kind of cared about, and I I remember the out, outcome of that match, but like even when I was watching, I was kind of like sucked in a little bit there. But I think for everything else, I was like kind of like okay, like you know when when am I supposed to like you know invest in this? Like when am I supposed to care? But do you guys think like if you have those big personalities at a club, like you know their management is gonna agree to do a program like this? No, like it they would not like United for example didn't even let anybody inside the locker room, so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you can really get an like I don't I don't think there you can really get as in as you want. You know, especially with a team that's happening like right now, you know what I mean? Like it's different when you're looking back on it. You know, like for example the Maradona documentary, you're looking you're looking at mostly stuff that happened in the past and then you can kind of like, you know, wax about it and go for it, but like yeah, they wouldn't. It's they wouldn't let United in. You know, they wouldn't even let him into the locker room. And I think that's that's a good point. I mean, why do you think that is, Tosin? Uh, I just think it's just the way the time, just the way generations are, um, just the way things are. Like I literally was talking to about this a few weeks ago with one of my friends about. Uh, I grew up in that. Like I've watched soccer my whole life. Like one of my favorite commercials is '98 Brazil um, airport commercial where they had Ronaldo, Romario. Um, a whole bunch of the Roberto Carlos had a whole bunch of these guys in the airport just like literally driven around and like it was fun. And like one of my other favorite commercials was like called The Cage. So like basically they had like a bunch of classic players like Spiegel, um, oh my god, Nakata, Henri, Duram, Davis, set off, like all of these players were like literally playing three on three in like a cage style like commercial, right? You can't do that in 2020. You can't you literally cannot do that because a like agents are scared their players might get embarrassed or their players might get injured. So 
it's like a PR thing in a sense. Like you want to protect your players as much as possible. But it's also just like you have to let these players have personalities. Like these dudes have so much fun. Like I've spoken to like a few players on my podcast. I spoke to um Kellen Acosta, and Kellen Acosta was saying like a lot of times it's hard to have personalities because you know this agent saying this or that person saying this, and you can't really really can't delve into who you really are. You know, so it's that. It's like there's a lot of and I always say all the time like football's changed for me. Like. I remember my dad's a hardcore Liverpool fan. We're watching the game one time. My dad was pissed, like heaviest Nigerian accent ever. He was like, ah. he was like, why do these players don't do dribbles anymore? They don't do stepovers. I'm like, the game's changed. Like literally everything's changed. Like, you don't see as much personality anymore. They try to like try to shut things down, you know? So it sucks. It really does suck. Cause a lot of these players do have personalities, but you will never see it because of just the way media is. Yeah, you're never going to see, like, a Roy Keane situation very much anymore. You know what I mean? Like, where there is this, you know, where it's just so out in the open, like, the the intensity and uh, the vitriol against, you know, the opponent. And I'm wondering what kind of conversations their agents had with them prior to doing this. I think there's, like, a whole bunch of negotiations that go on before they even agree to do this. And I think there's probably like, you know, contracts on top of contracts and end up NDA type contracts that they're signing, like, you know, before agreeing and like giving them like the amount of access and like, because everything they, I feel like that they kind of gave over to like the Amazon cruises feels like a softball. I feel like there was nothing that was like, you know, really like on the line or ever, ever or, you know, anything was framed in a way that could potentially like hurt sponsorship or hurt revenue or make someone look bad. So I think the whole thing you know, the feeling at the end of it is kind of sanitized and kind of like, okay, like, you know, what did we watch? And like, maybe if you're a big Tottenham fan, like you might've like enjoy like seeing a peek behind the curtain, but like, is it really a peek behind the curtain if you can't like see anything? I think they're also the agents in football are kind of like, if you look at like, I feel like the NBA is one of the most interesting leagues in the planet right now because the players are allowed to, you know, be themselves, especially compared to other leagues and like i mean like i would have loved to see one of these for the bubble i I feel like there's more commercial opportunity that's brought you know with with hat you know with allowing players to have a personality and really express themselves you mentioned your father uh was a liverpool fan how the hell did you become a united fan oh man you guys want to hear this story absolutely all right so my dad was born in london in this in the 60s and then he moved to nigeria so when they moved back tonight, when they moved back to London, um, the first game he ever saw on TV, because obviously watching football back in Nigeria, the first game he remembered seeing was Liverpool, and he really, really enjoyed Liverpool a lot. Um, so he became a Liverpool fan. So oddly enough, my dad lived near Highbury, Arsenal's original stadium. So my dad used to see Arsenal games, but he's still a Liverpool fan. And my dad actually tryouts with Tottenham. So wow. he like has all this soccer background. Like he's literally watched every World Cup like since like he can remember. Um, so he obviously when he had me and my brother two years younger than me, he basically um wanted us to get into soccer. Like that's literally he was he didn't force us to do it, but you picked it up because my dad would play all the time in the streets with his friends and every Saturday we'll go to a park and play. So it was 1994, um, before like that year of the World Cup. I never forget this because my dad bought me a white and green Liverpool jersey there, away kit. And I told my mom, like, I'm four years old, I'm consciously making a decision, told her I don't want this jersey. <laughs> uh, so I told her to return it. And then I'm getting United the kit. And my younger brothers, you know, follows his big brother, does everything he does. So we became United fans. And then, like, 95, Andy Cole moved to United. And that's when I officially became a United fan was um, when I was five. And Andy, I saw Andy Cole move. So I was like, this is my team for life. 
Um, and it was fun because in my young mind, I was trolling my dad and I thought it was funny to do that because I know how much he hated United. And I'll never forget the story in 1996 when United beat Liverpool in the, um, this is when I knew like football is, is crazy. Um, this 1996 FA Cup final, United beat Liverpool 2-1, I think. I think it was 2-1, it went to extra time. And when Cantona scored the um, winning goal, you tracked like he was, you know, pedaling backwards and scored a volley and United won. But dad was pissed. So he takes me and my brother out the house. Lee picks us up, puts us outside, locks the door and goes upstairs to sleep. 30 <laughs> minutes later, my mom comes home. Mind you, my mom's pregnant. So my mom's pregnant. Like, this is like, I think it's May 1996. So she's not like heavily pregnant, but she's still visibly pregnant. She's like, what are my boys doing outside? And I was like, oh, dad kicked us outside the house. We go back inside the house and this man is knocked out. He's petty enough to just kick us out. So that's my hate for Liverpool. And I always say all the time, it's not my fault the way that I am. I've just been raised this way. So yeah, it's my dad's fault for me being such a uh, trolling person when it comes to Liverpool and hating other people's clubs. So yeah, that's my like long-winded story how I became a United fan. <laughs> Yo, Coburn, how did you how did you get that? You got you got all London family, don't you? Yeah, I do. So um cousin in London, he's a Chelsea fan. He grew up in South London. Um his grandfather played for Queen's Own Ragers, but his stepfather, my uncle, when I was growing up, like and then when I was in London, I think I was in London the summer of 97 and 98. My favorite player at the time was Henri because like I would just watch him on TV and like you can't not love Henri yeah. if you see Henri play. But he was a big Man U fan and I also really loved Beckham. Um, so all, everything they would send me was like United jerseys and, and the old sharp kits. So like I would always watch United with him and that's how kind of we connected. So it became my team and I stuck with them and I didn't know that they were the New York Yankees or whatever of football is, or as people call them. I kind of resent that uh, comparison. Oh, I, I do too. I've always said this, like I think cross-sport comparisons do a lot of damage to people. Yes. Um, especially like, I, I get it. Like it's hard to get into the sport of soccer. Like, trust me, I, I struggled to get into the NBA, but I think once you understand the complexities of these teams and the complexities of just like what goes on, you will learn not to make cross-sport comparisons because you're you're cheapening yourself on their um from the fun of it like i get it it's low-hanging fruit to call united the cowboys to say the knicks and blah 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 i get it but it's you're cheapening yourself like you're literally robbing yourself from the experience of understanding like the complexities of, of all this so especially because i mean united's heyday comes from i mean really the backbone of that is the class of 92 you know what i mean so like these are de- players who are developed in within the organization so it's yeah, I mean, they added Cantona, but, like, that's what you do. You know what I mean? And I think it goes further than that because United has a rich history of the academy. And, like, you look at the yeah. Busby Babes and, like, you look at, like, George Best. Like, this is a club who's always thrived themselves and pride themselves on, like, having an academy. And, yeah, United have money. I mean, you know, it's the richest club in the world. It's also the most successful English club in the world, too. But, like, this is this is a club that prides itself and like that's why like you know everyone's always like oh McTominay shit so yeah but like McTominay is also like a pride of the club because you see your McTominay's and your Greenwoods and your Rashford's who come through the academy that's why they like you know they that's that's just part of the club's identity so yeah and it says something about the club when you're going from you know the through the academy and then getting into the first team I'm like that's a success you know for a lot of people taking place with you know happening within the organization it's funny when i got into united i you know my old man my mom married my old man he's my he's my stepdad but you know he's dad 
But, you know, I was like a little chunky ass kid, you know, I started to play soccer. He like his dad came from England and gave me like this, like ridiculously like sharp United kid. Like I was the best dressed kid out there in practice. But then I'd be like the chunky kid standing next to the goalie eating oranges and shit. But I would sit and watch the games with him and then ended up loving them. And then I got super into like where the obsession came is uh when they got Cantona and uh I was just obsessed with him and he was my favorite player color popped just just always ridiculous definitely endearing me although he got suspended uh when he dropped kicked the fan it was at West Ham I believe Crystal Palace Crystal Palace yes 100% deserved that yes 100% and it's just like I'm like okay this guy is just so I'm like this guy he gave me that Rashid Wallace vibe um but immensely talented and I just it just became like a lifelong thing and that's actually kind of how we bonded which is why i like spending time with shows like this even if i'm not like totally 100 percent, you know thinking they're great just because you know it reminds you of you know those kinds of you know those kind of kinds of moments in your life what i want to know from you guys is if you could do a current club and an all-time club for this kind of show what would it be like as far as you mean love for like for like the um Tottenham show yes I would need to go with 2010 France. Ooh, that's a good pick. I really, I really like that. I need that. I, I, I need that badly. Um, Anelka, I, so I, I come from a different area like a lot of people. I grew up in London, South London, from South London. Um, so I, I hate Arsenal. Like, that's probably my biggest rival. Like, I legitimately despise Arsenal, but I have a soft spot for them. The older I've gotten, the more I love Arsenal. Wenger. I feel like to me, Wenger and sorry, Alex Ferguson are one A and one B when it comes to football managers of all time. Like those yeah. are for me. Um, but I grew up loving Anelka. Like that was my favorite player of all time. Like I literally, outside of Brazilian Ronaldo, I loved Anelka. Like, I thought Anelka can never do any wrong in my eyes. And I saw this documentary, and I saw like the real fast of what happened with that night in 2010. It's like I need that documentary. Like I, I need it. Like Evra, Benzema, Anelka, Henri. Like yeah, we need we need that. I think I would, I'd probably want to see uh, un, the unbeaten Arsenal run. Ooh, and Invincibles, yes. The Invincibles. Um, I mean, I love that era. Also, like, wasn't a, not a fan of Arsenal as a club, but, you know, I enjoyed trolling Arsenal fans and have enjoyed their misery the past, you know, 20 years or so. Um, but, yeah, I would love to see, like, uh, an unbeatable uh, Arsenal run. And I think if I had to pick a current club, Hmm. I mean, I think I'd always want to see. I'd probably want to see. I'd probably want to see Leicester on this because I think Leicester is like the size of of the club that would kind of fit this kind of show, and you know they could use it to like leverage themselves a little bit. Well, I feel like you get characters with Leicester because like Jamie Vardy working at a factory until he's like twenty four. You know what I mean? Like, there's all these different. Like, I feel like that would be of the recent teams the ultimate one to do would be Leicester. I think that would be cool. Even even like Leeds, because Leeds has like, you know, like they have a pretty good story and like, you know, their coach, like I think that would be kind of cool too. Uh, uh, I mean, you could show them you could show them beating Liverpool. I mean, there is a there is a there is a documentary about Leeds with uh Bielsa. Oh, is there? Is what what year is it from? Uh this is a year um before they this is like a couple years ago, like the year before last. Yeah. And Dan James almost went there. Oh, I gotta check that out. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Dan James almost went to uh, Leeds, and then 
I wish I wish he was on Leeds right now. He would be doing great. Yeah, he'd be really awesome if he was on Leeds. By the way, I know this is an aside, but I think Marcelo Bielsa is also up there, one of the best coaches in the world. His coaching tree, like his sons are just crazy. Like Pochettino, Roberto Martinez, Guardiola, um, Tata Martino. Like all these guys come from like that Bielsa tree. And yeah. like, again, I'm a huge soccer nerd. Like I don't realize Bielsa also coached against Nigeria in 2002 World Cup. And Pochettino was on that team as well with Batistuta. And Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a lot of like, there's a lot of stupid soccer knowledge in my brain that I can't believe I still have it in my head, but. No, I love it. Feel free to digress at any time. It's funny you mentioned the France team because I was thinking, like, I did watch a documentary on the 98 France team because, like, I would lo- I would love to have seen a season, like, a, a thing on that just because that team, like, you know, at the time, I'm trying to remember the name of the documentary I watched. Basically what it was is it just talked about a lot about how that team, despite being so talented and just so, you know, quality overall, an all-time great team, um, they faced a lot of racism in France just because, like, there was a, like, what is the definition of, like, what if, like, they didn't say it was French, they were French enough just because, you know, like, you know, there's, because, well, there was black players on the team. Uh, someone like Zidane is from fucking, uh, he was born in, uh, in friggin, um, Algeria. And, you know, like, and it, a lot of the thing looked at like their role, you know, in French culture and like how French culture didn't totally accept them. And it took a while to, and that, um, that was kind of something that informed the French people's reaction to, you know, subsequent French teams. Like, I thought that'd be really, really fun. And that's actually all, one of my all-time favorite teams, period. Well, Tosin, I thought you had a great tweet about that today when you were talking about, like, you know, France. Uh, yeah, just like them embracing it as of recent. It's insane. Like, I, I joke about shit like that all the time, but I'm, I'm being deathly serious. Like, France literally colonized most of Africa, and their team is literally a bunch of, like, West Africans and North Africans. Like that's what France's team are. Like you look at yeah. you look at Camavinga, right? Yeah. Camavinga was born in Africa. And like, yeah, like yeah, it's 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 messed up. Like it's really, really messed up. But hey, they took advantage of colonialism and it is what it is. Like I would love to see the 1998 um Brazil team. Yes. Um I'm a huge R9 fan. I personally feel he was poisoned then. Um so I liked all R nine in two thousand two. I'm like he comes in a little overweight, just still scoring, not moving a lot, just scoring all the time, just fucking boatloads. Almost got his knees cut off. Like he was like two bad knee injuries, like really, yeah. really bad. Like, and everyone always asks me who's better to me, Ronaldo or Messi, and I'm just like Brazilian Ronaldo every single time. I don't care. Like I've seen enough of Brazilian Ronaldo growing up to know that, like even before pre knee injury, like that guy was a freak of nature like he literally was like a bull in a china shot like you, you couldn't stop him like there's a documentary i'm sure you guys probably you know people are listening right now go on youtube literally type this turaman dasai talking about ronaldo 1998 type that in youtube it's like a minute and a half long and you could see like turaman dasai are probably two of the greatest players that ever defend like literally like these two are like probably top 10, top 15, top 20, however you want to rank them, defenders of all time, you could hear how much fear they had in their eyes about a 22-year-old, 23-year-old player. Like, you don't have that. Like, yeah, I think Mbappe is sick, but, like, what Ronaldo did was just, like, it made no sense. Like, it, it made no sense. And, like, the thing that pains me the most with that Brazil team is that Romario got injured, like, weeks before. And we didn't get to see Romario, Rivaldo, and Ronaldo. I think 
that might have been greater than Ronaldinho, Rivaldo, and Ronaldo. Like that, those guys are ridiculous. Another Brazilian player that makes me sad um, is Adriano. Like, I think Adriano was next up, but he had depression issues. Like his dad died, and then his career went downhill. So I think. You know, like for me, I look at football now, I'm just like, man, this sport has really fell off. Like I look at a German team today when they tie 3-2, I'm like, this German team is not good. And like even the Spain team, like no offense, Adama Traore, I think he's a really good player. But like, I don't think Adama would have been, ever been called off for Spain. If you ever look back at the teams, like I don't think he's that good technically to be on that team. It's just that he's just that much more, you know, dominant than everybody else. He could do whatever he wants. I think both Spain and Germany are kind of recovering from the fact that like golden generations are coming to an end. Um, or have come to an end, especially like, I mean, if you're, I mean, if you looked at Spain's midfield, like prime midfield, like with Xavi and Iniesta, like, 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 how are you going to, like, how are you really going to replace that? That's another team. 2010 Spanish team would be fucking fantastic. Last team, we need a Netherlands documentary on like a lot of their teams because like, I don't know how they had like set off and all these other guys and like, they haven't won shit. Like they've had set off Davids, Cliver, Van Nistelrooy, Robin, Van Persie. I mean, we can go on and on and on. The Boer brothers, the Koku, the Kokus, like Van Bornkos, they've had, you know, Van de Sar. I can go on and on. Like that's probably my favorite country in football, but they haven't won anything since 1988. Even Marco Van Basten is another one of my favorite players of all time. Um, I'm dating myself right now. Naming players, and people just like, who the hell is that? But <laughs> yeah, like, like I said, like I grew up, like you know, kids watch cartoons growing up. Mm-hmm. I just watch old VHS types of soccer. Like, there's literally, like, I literally would sit there, watch old Euros, watch old things, and this is what I did. So, like, I will look at this Dutch team. I was like, how did they not win anything? Like, are you serious? Like, you had set off, you had all these guys who are just incredibly talented. And you just don't win anything. So. Like a football, like you could be the most talented, but this is an element of luck that you need as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, in terms of like current teams who I'd like to see, I mean, you know, obviously the big ones. I mean, actually, I'd kind of like to see Barcelona right now if it was, um, you know, kind of a, if it, if it was an all like a real all access, unlike you know, not like this, um, because just because of the the internal struggle that you know internal struggle that that they're going through and the idea of losing Messi and all that kind of situation, like I'd love to see what that looks like on the inside because like they at one point, um, before the big Real Madrid run, I mean they're the gold standard for Champions League, um, you know in the two thousand in the two thousands and just seeing that play out, I think would be super interesting. And Messi hates Barcelona as well, so I don't know what's. I mean, that, that's that whole. I mean, where do we think Messi's going? Uh, away from Barcelona. And do, do do you think do you think they're gonna he's gonna wind up at City? Who knows? Who honestly I, knows? I feel like he's not gonna leave like that league till till he ends up in uh, MLS and then comes comes back maybe. But fucking MLS, like when these guys go to MLS, like I saw. Like, can you, like, when you see, like, Zlatan Ibrahimovic playing in that league, like, and the center backs trying to stop him, it's like he's playing with children. Like, they can't, like, he's, like, the guy's a destroyer and he's playing on one leg at this point. And, um, the M, like, the MLS, you know, I mean, I, fuck, I want to see an MLS documentary with them actively talking about, you know, competing, like, their perception of them with European football. Because, uh, when I was, when MLS really started first happening, I mean, I was like, what the fuck is this? I can't watch this. Like, they can't even pass. Like they're not even passing to each other. Like I don't. Has anybody made a coif turn yet? Like has anybody done anything? And you know, I I, I kind of would actually kind of like to look at like what that would be like from a, 
you know, just from an insider standpoint and like how, and just how the game is perceived and grown in the United States. I think, I think Tosin, you've done like a lot of work on, like on that too, right? You've interviewed like a lot of players like coming up in the States and. I've got a lot of, I got a lot of stories. I'm not sure how much time you guys have, but I have a lot of stories about like, I mean, I really, I know the guy who like gave, who basically gave Freddie do his uh, thing at DC United. I was actually a ball boy for DC United. Um, oh, crazy. Yeah, my brother's team won nationals. My team won nationals. My cousin's team won nationals. And the biggest thing I could tell people at times, like, there's a ridiculous amount of talent in America. Like, I don't, like, one of my teammates, um, he was on trial with Man United in 2008 when United won the Champions League, like, for three months. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson told him not to come back home to America. He did bust his knee. And, like, now, you know what the guy's doing? He's a real, he's a real estate agent. That's what he does. Like, he won the most, he won Gatorade National Player of the Year. Like, that's how talented he was. And now he does real estate. Um, and like a couple of guys on my team now are lawyers and doctors. And not to say those are not important jobs. It was like, you take some of the most talented players in this country. A lot of them have fallen. It's not being a footballer though. Yeah. It's like some of these guys have fallen by the wayside. There's a lot of talented players in America that has like fallen by the wayside. I mean, we've had Joe Jow on the podcast who plays for Cincinnati. Um, Joe had his debut by Jurgen Klopp. I mean, I've known Joe Jow since he was nine. Um, so I've seen crazy like I know this kid named Lester Dewey who retired um Lester was at Marseille when he was 10 years old 11 years old so when I tell people like when I see the Gio Reynas and the Christian Pulisic and the Weston McKennies I'm like finally it's about time because there's a lot of towns he plays in this country but the problem is like a is very expensive to play in America um I mean there's times when my parents like you know they almost couldn't afford the mortgages they were paying you know club fees for my brother and I um where in England or like overseas, you go to an academy and that's all kind of taken care of. But like, again, the competition is hard, but it's like in this country, in America, there's so much talent that has literally just died by the wayside. So to, for me to see like the Gio Reynas and your Pulisic's and like, they got 11 kids in the Champions League this year, which to yeah. me is fucking crazy. I'm like, yo, I could never imagine that. Like even the coverage of soccer in America has changed. Like if you told me like five years ago, like we would have had like stuff what CBS is doing now and what Bleach Report did and, you know, seeing all these things, what NBC has done, I would have laughed at you, but like, it's grown. Like even in Canada, it's growing too. Like we've, I, I've seen it. Like you see your Davies and you see Jonathan David and like you see even the woman's side, like the woman's game in Canada is like the best outside of USA. So it's like, you're start, finally starting to see like all these things finally come into motion. And it's like, finally, you know, it was like, it's about damn time. Cause there has like, I think a lot of times like the people higher up don't realize there's a lot of people who really want to watch the sport. And a lot of people want to get involved in it, but it's like, how do you make people really want to love this sport? And that's where, like, I feel like people like us come involved where we have our independent, like, podcasts and things like that. Because it's like, hey, man, we are also working here. Like, this is what we do. So, yeah. What do you think the impact of, like, I know, I don't know what exactly, is it Peacock in the States that that has the rights now to games and they're kind of broadcasting them um, online? And I know in Canada we have DAZN. How do you think these things impact the growth of the game when you're kind of putting it behind paywalls so you can't go to a bar and watch it as easily it stunts it because a lot of people really want to get into it especially now during pandemic nobody's doing anything i mean like the nba just finished right nfl still here baseball finishing up so like people want to watch sports but if you don't know where to turn to find it like who's paying you know you already pay for cable right you already pay for this so like now you got to pay more it's like it stunts the growth like nbc had it really really well and then they just started to grow so it's just like 
people really want to get into the sport. So give them what they want. The World Cup is going to be in, a, in Canada, USA, and Mexico in six years, right? You grow your fan base. You grow this and let, make people have affinities. And, you know, that's what you do. But they're, they're, they're not serious, man. It's just all, it's just corporation. I think, well, you see, you saw what happened with, well, I'm not sure we're old enough to have seen it, but like, you know, like what happened with basketball and when it got, you know, national rights and, and, and a, a actual broadcasting situation, like people used to watch, have to watch like playoff games, like on repeat at like 11 o'clock, like midnight. And uh, as soon as they were able to kind of put together broadcast rights and get uh, a national audience, then, you know, the, the, the sport was able to grow. Do you think that, you know, part of the reason why it's growing in the U.S. is because the broadcast situation has changed? I think that, and then people see a cultural aspect behind it. Like, again, I've spoken to some really, really amazing guests on our podcast. Like, I've spoken to um, Mel D. Cole, right? Mel D. Cole is one of the biggest hip-hop photographers ever. Like, the guys shot Drake, shot Day, like, you could name it. Like, he shot them, right? And Mel D. Cole didn't really get into shopping until 2013. And Mel was just saying, like, I didn't realize how crazy this sport was, but nobody's ever teaching us this. No one's ever telling us, like, this is this is here. So it's just like, now you're starting to see the cultural aspect of it. I mean, look at the Nigeria jerseys just came out, for example, right? Like, I've had all of them and, like, all of that. But it's just like people also, like, when they see stuff like this, they get behind it. And now you're starting to see brands collaborate. It's also social media. Like, Roma does a good job on social. I mean, sometimes a bit forced. But you can see it that, like, people are really trying to, like, engage the cultural aspect of the sport. So... That helps out a lot. And it's also representation. Like, you know, whenever you see somebody who looks like you on TV, because America hasn't really had that superstar yet, right? That, like, looks like them, who grew up like them, and, like, oh, I can see him too, you know, in a sense. So that aspect hasn't come to it yet. But, like, once that crosses over, like, that would that, – that's going to change a lot of stuff. How tired of you are you of the narrative that, like, you know, if X football player or X basketball player played soccer, you know, they would dominate the sport? Um, I'm extremely tired of it because, again, like I, I've seen, like I said, I grew up here um, in the States since I was 11, and I've seen some incredibly talented players. It's like, you're, I get it. I, I honestly get the whole, you know, the comparison of it, but it's just like, soccer is a very, very different sport where like the best player of all time, both of them, you know, two of them, Maradona and, and Messi are like nothing but 5'5 five, five at best, right? And they don't have that much athleticism. I mean, like one of my favorite players of all time is Raquel May. Raquel May looks doesn't Raquel May doesn't look like he can play ball, but Raquel May's feet are, is just disgusting. So it's just like it's not just athleticism that you need. Like you also need to have the technical skills. And I feel like you do a disservice to the game when you start saying things like that. Like, do you see um, you know, soccer as something that can you know, that can join the big four, you know, or the big three sports, you know, like basketball, well, it's not even big three anymore, it's really basketball and football um, in the U.S.? If they push it right, um, if they push it right, like, again, I'm, I'm seeing it, again, like I told you guys, you know, where I work now, I don't really want to sit on air, but like where, where I work now, right? I'm seeing it from, from this perspective and, and I'm now in like these bigger meetings and I'm like listening to what people are saying and I'm just like, they're slowly getting it. Like they just need to hire the right people. They need to like have the right on-air personality. They need to have the right sort of content. Um, because the thing is like, for example, in London, right? Like in England, um, I'm friends with a lot of different content creators in London. And what, what they've done is like, you know, I know a guy named Harry Pinero who's like, he just had an interview with Oxley Chamberlain, right? So you get to see the human, you get to see the human side of these players, right? You get to really 
say like, oh shit, like I know this person. So if you put the right amount of dollars behind it, if you put the right amount of content creators, the right people, and the fun, you make it funny and digestible enough, it'll grow. It'll grow. I mean, it's a, it's going to be a, a long, slow growth, but you're slowly seeing people like, and I, I'm seeing it too, because I, I, you guys follow me on my Twitter. So I used to wake up early in the morning and just like tweet about soccer. And now you're, I'm starting to see more and more American people that like, were only into basketball, like up at 7.30 in the morning with me. So I'm just like, okay, it's growing. Like there's a, there's a fan base now. It's like, okay, so what, what do we do now? And the same thing with Canada is like, you have to really, really get the right content creators and the right people to do this. Because no offense, and no one really wants to see middle-aged white British men talk about football anymore. Like it, we don't mm. want to see that. Like, like truth be told, like we don't want to see that. Like we really want to see people our age who can really take this content and drive it forward. You know what I'm saying? Like, so once once you have like that culture aspect of it, yeah, it, it you got to you got to do that. But it all just depends on the powers that be. That that's really it. Yeah, like I think there is kind of like a cultural awakening kind of happening on that end. But I'm also wondering like too, because like we're watching like, I don't forget what the whole proponent is, but in England where they're trying to charge like $14 a game where they're thinking about shrinking the size of the Premier League so it's like less teams in it so more teams can remain profitable and, you know, teams are kind of struggling without having fans in the stands. How do you think these things will impact like, you know, PL League, but then kind of trickle down to over here? Well, like having no fans in the league? It's a twofold thing, right? It's like it's sucks that there's no one in the stadium because like that's how you grow the game and that's how the atmosphere is more fun. But again, it goes back to the people in the um that goes back to the people at the top. Like, how do you incentivize these things to make people have fun while you know this is this is gonna be obviously a long-term temporary thing, but like, it's gonna be a long-term thing for now. So like, how do you incentivize these things to have fun? Like the NBA did a great job with the virtual bubble, with like the with the fans like you know, virtually watching the game. But it's just like um, how do you make it fun for people? And that's really it. On that note, gentlemen, the shirtless plantain, if you are not watching it, sorry, listening to it already, you should. Uh, the banter's good. You guys are always fucking hilarious as well. It's a good listen, but then you get some straight up football talk as well. Um, I really, really liked it. I also love that you just randomly are like, hey, what are your top uh, five favorite rappers of all time? I fucking, I, I, you know, I, 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 we love that. And if you're not listening to that already, you uh, absolutely have to. Thank you guys so thank you guys so much. We're actually gonna get back on the YouTube soon. Um, I'm just trying to get a new setup, but I've missed shooting YouTube videos so much. So we're gonna get back into that side and still have the podcast. And yeah, dope. We'll be excited to to check for it in all its incarnations, and also for the next uh, collection of shirts and, and uh, sweaters. We'll talk to you later, guys. Peace.